Welcome to Heartland Church. It is our prayer that as you listen to the following message, you would experience the heart of God for your life. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Now, let's join this week's service already in progress. Okay, if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We are going to jump into the Christmas story. I love preaching at Christmas time. I love the Christmas story. It lends itself so well to preaching on revival. Christmas was the original invasion of heaven into the affairs of men. It's when God became man. And so when we look at this this scenario, this story, the Christmas story, uh, it really, there's so many principles that we can lift out of the Christmas story and apply to our life. And uh, so I, I just love to look at the different characters in that, that whole story. Of course, there's Mary and Joseph, two of the major players, but there's a lot of the supporting cast. Uh, uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth, we have the shepherds, the magi, the, the wise men. Uh, All these different people that came together to inaugurate that first invasion we know as Christmas. And so it was the coming of the kingdom, the relaunch of God's invasion of planet Earth. God is reclaiming the nations and his method is a baby in a manger. It's an amazing thing. The world was falling apart at that point in human history. You think things are bad now? Go back then and start reading about the people who were ruling the world. These people were, they were killing off their own children, let alone everyone else's. Herod the Great was one crazy person. There was a saying in the, in the days of Herod the Great, it said, it's better to be his pig than his son because you'll live longer. This guy, anybody that was a threat to his throne, he would knock him off. He had his own wife killed. I mean, this guy was a bad character and he was the one in charge. And in the midst of this chaos and this corruption, God's solution is to put an innocent, helpless little baby in a manger. And upon that event, all of history would hinge and twist. And so we pick the story up here in Luke chapter 1 and 2. And what we're going to look at this morning is the relationship between Elizabeth and Mary. Elizabeth and Zachariah, they had been trying to have children for years. They were this... This older couple, they were of the Levitical line, the, of the Levitical priesthood. Both Elizabeth and Zachariah. Zachariah served as a priest. And it says they were well along in years. They had tried and tried for many years. And now when they're past the days in which they could have hoped to have children, all of a sudden they find themselves confronted with an angelic message that they were going to have a baby. She was in menopause. He was in menopause. They were, it, was, it was done. Those days were done. And all of a sudden, they found themselves in this situation where they're going to give birth to a child. And then we have someone who's related to Elizabeth. Let's look at, look at verse 35. And this is when the same angel, angel Gabriel, comes to Mary, this young uh, virgin girl. Scholars believe she was somewhere between 13 and 15 years old. Uh, and she was just this young girl, and the uh, tradition tells us she was in the backyard washing dishes. The Bible doesn't say that, but she was, that tradition says that's what she was doing. She was in the backyard, and all of a sudden, this angel appears, and he says, and he says to her, uh, 
He says, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And it says that Mary was troubled at his words and wondered what the meaning of this greeting was. Mary didn't see herself as one highly favored. She didn't just, oh yeah, I know that. There was, there was a disconnect and she was, she was shocked by this angelic figure that, that showed up. And he tells her that you're going to be found with child. Now, we know from the text and other texts in Scripture that Mary and Joseph were already engaged. So they were already heading towards marriage. And in Jewish culture, a young man would propose to a girl, and then he would prepare a place for her. So he would spend a year getting a place ready, and then he would come and he would receive his bridegroom, and the bridal party would wait in anticipation, waiting for the appearing of the bridegroom, and there would be this great celebration when he would take his bride and bring her into the bridal chamber, and they would consummate the marriage, it would, they would be married. And it was, so they were between the time of the proposal and the consummation, the proposal and the wedding, so they were engaged, and that day it was betrothed, but they were still considered to be committed to each other and married, so much so that in Matthew it says that Joseph, when he finds out Mary's pregnant, it says because he was a good man, he was going to divorce her quietly. So even though they were just engaged, it would take a divorce decree to break that commitment on Joseph's part. And Joseph, being hurt, thinking that she's out there sleeping around, he was going to divorce her, but he was going to do it quietly because even though he felt she had shamed him and been betrayed his, his commitment, that he was going to divorce her quietly so as not to cause her deeper shame because she would be a single woman with child in Jewish culture. And an angel comes to him and says, Hey, don't do it. This is of God. You're going to marry her. And Joseph finds himself in this situation where he's kissing his reputation goodbye out of obedience to the Lord. It's a fascinating, a fascinating study. And, and just let me mention, uh, it, it says very specifically, it was after they were committed to marriage, they were betrothed, but before they came together. There was this little narrow window of time that Joseph was committed. He had publicly put himself on the line. I'm going to make this woman my wife. And it was in that little narrow window of time that the Holy Spirit came upon her and she was found to be with child. Now we have to ask ourselves, why did the Lord choose to do it in that little window of time? God could have made it really easy for old Joe and visited Mary before he, he proposed to her. And Joseph could have been the hero and said, I'll give this child a, husband, a father, and I will give her my name. And he would have been a hero. He could have, the, the angel could have visited her after. He could have visited on the wedding night and said, Joe, don't touch her. Don't touch her. She's going to have a baby that's going to be the son of God, and you can, you're, you're going to consummate your marriage after the, the pregnancy. But the Lord didn't do that. He chose to do it in that little narrow window of time. Why? Because when we follow after God, it's going to cost us something. God was looking for a man who was willing to put his reputation on the line for this thing. When I first became the pastor of this church, the Lord spoke to me. It was the second or third year that I was a pastor. And I was, I was studying that passage and the Lord spoke to me out of that passage. And this is what he said. He said, Dave, I've called you to be a Joseph. I don't need you to bring life to Heartland. That's my job. But what I need you to do is lend your good name to that which others will think is illegitimate until it can stand on its own. Revival and the move of God is always controversial. 
And so God is looking for people who are saying, I will side with heaven. And here's the thing about God we need to understand. God is intentionally controversial. You know that? God could have done it. and He could have avoided that little window of time and saved everybody a lot of heartache. But the Lord intentionally entered into that little window of time. Why? Because the things of God are always controversial because God is dealing with our pride and our desire to hold to our own reputation. And if he can find men and women that are willing to lay it down, like a Mary, who said, so be it unto me as you have said. When the angel came and said, you're going to be, you're going to be with child and it's going to be, that child is going to be known to be the son of God. Mary's first question, and it's always intrigued me why she would say this. Her first question was, Lord, how can this be? If I would have been Mary, I'd have said, yeah, I'm already engaged. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing that Joe and I's baby is going to be known as the child of God, the son of God. I would have assumed it was going to be by natural means and God was just validating my engagement. But there was something in the voice, in the words of that angel that Mary understood. This is a supernatural thing. There's something about this scenario that demands a supernatural intervention. And so she didn't assume it would be the product of her and Joseph's union. And the answer of the Lord was this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And you will be found with child. It was a supernatural insemination by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was the Son of God. And Joseph, when Mary surrendered and said, so be it unto me, she understood fully what she was saying. She was saying, I will kiss my reputation goodbye. I will be looked as an immoral young woman in Jewish culture. And Joseph fully understood when he yielded to the leading of the angel and said, okay, I'll go through with this engagement. He knew that there were going to be some that thought he was immoral and others that thought he was the biggest fool in the world to believe the story his fiancée told him. But Joseph was willing to lay his reputation goodbye, to guard, to lend his good name and provide security for this fledgling move of God. And every time God moves in a fresh way, he needs those Marys and Josephs. He needs people who will lend their good name to this situation. And so we pick the story up there when the angel is speaking. And look at what it says, verse 35. This was his answer to how will this be, Mary says, since I am a virgin. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. It says in verse 39, At that time Mary got up ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And was, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see this interesting scenario surrounding what, what has become known as the advent. The, the great entrance of the kingdom of God into the affairs of men. That's not to say that there wasn't kingdom activity prior to that, but this was the reclaiming of the planet by King Jesus. And he did it as a vulnerable little child 
And so when you look at the scenario surrounding this, one of the things we need to realize and one of the things that is helpful for us to understand is that when God is working in you, unbeknownst to you, he's also working in others. That we are all interconnected in this thing. And when God is working in one, he's also working in others. And we often don't know it. This was on the heels of what was known by theologians as the 400 silent years. The book of Malachi had just closed. And now we have the book of Matthew, Mark and Luke and John opening. And between the, the, the activity that's recorded in the Gospels and the closing of the Old Testament book of Malachi, there was approximately 400 years, and theologians refer to that as the silent years. How many of you ever heard that? Calling it the silent years. Well, that is both true and false. It has a reputation for being the silent years. And in one sense, yes, it was. There was no prophetic voice. There was, no, there was very little, if any, corporate activity, but God was not silent during those 400 years because we run in in a few chapters into a man named Simeon who had been heard from God. Uh, many scholars believe that Simeon was the father of Gamaliel who trained the apostle Paul, the famous rabbi that trained the apostle Paul. And Simeon was this aged man of God that would hang around the temple courts because the Lord had whispered to his heart sometime in the past that you will, hold the, you will hold the consolation of Israel. You will hold the infant Messiah before you die. And so he was living with this promise. Even though there were silent years, God was speaking. There were Simeons that were listening to God. And so every day, Simeon would go to the temple and he would look. And one day, he looks across and there's this young, uh, impoverished couple by the name of Mary and Joseph. And they're holding a little bundle. And the Spirit of God quickens in Simeon's heart. And he walks over there and he says, can I hold your baby? And he, you ever seen that picture by a guy, I think it's Demani or something like that? There's a picture of Simeon holding the baby, crying and just prophesying. It's a powerful picture. It was more than a prophetic moment for Simeon. It was the fulfillment of a promise. It was what he'd been waiting for. And in fact, what of all of Israel had been waiting for. And so when Simeon grabbed that little baby, he cries out and he says, Lord, you can take me home. I'm, I'm ready to go home because now my eyes have seen and my hands have held what you promised to me. He felt like my life has culminated in this moment. This is what I've lived for. I believe that man of God that heard about that moment was a man of God that had prayed many years for that moment. In that same scenario, we see Anna. Anna, they, it, it, we don't know how many years the text could be read several different ways, but it may be that she had lived as much as 85 years, day in and day out, in the temple, worshiping and praying for the consolation of Israel. She was a widow that lost her husband young, and she spent the rest of her life in prayer. And she sees Jesus, and she prophesies over Jesus. So there were these people in the background hearing from God in the silent years. What is my point? That between the waves of God's external activity in human history, there are times where there's much activity. This is one of those particular times where everyone thought of it as silent years and all of a sudden angels are showing up everywhere, announcing things. 
Whether it be to Mary or Joseph. To, man, there's angels showing up to shepherds who don't even know what's going on. Because they're announcing the break-in of heaven. But between those waves and those break-ins and that external activity are what are known as silent years. But what we need to understand is between the corporate activity, there is, God is not silent with the individuals. What I'm saying is, is while we're contending for the next thing that God is doing, don't believe the lie that you have to do without until it happens. What I'm praying for, I'm praying for an invasion in our nation. I'm praying for yeah, regional and national revival. That's what I live for. But I'm not living impoverished in silent years until it arrives. God speaks all the time. He wants to bring his word alive. He wants to minister to you. He wants to speak to you. And the fact is, it's that the Simeons and the Annas who really create the fertile environment into which a Jesus can be born. Jesus was not born into a vacuum. It wasn't just any time in human history. Galatians chapter 6 is very clear. Chapter 4, verse 6. It says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. There was something about the fullness. There was a ripening of time. And I believe that that clock, that calendar of God's timing, was pushed through the intercessors like Simeon and Anna who had ministered to the Lord. They created an environment in which God could step into human history. Whenever God is moving, He's moving on multiple fronts. And we need to understand that we are all candidates for what God is doing. You are a crucial component in the purposes and plans of God. And if we're not careful, we can get discouraged during the silent times because we may not be seeing the external activity we long for and we end up forfeiting the voice in our private times, which God never wants to shut down. Now, it's fascinating to me, these two ladies. It says that the angel says to Mary, he says, he says you're going to have a child. And she just said, how's this going to happen? I'm a virgin. I'm not even married. I'm just a young girl. I've not reached that season of my life where this should even be possible. And the angel said, well, this is how it's going to happen. The Spirit of God's going to come on you. And you're going to break into things prematurely. You're going to break into them early, beyond, before you would normally break into them. And then he mentions this, your relative, Elizabeth, who was said to be barren. In other words, she was one who didn't break in early. She never broke in at all. She broke in late. She was a woman who had been crying out for years. She had a barren womb. She was crying out. They, she, her and her husband, it says so eloquently in the, the, earlier in this passage, that they were blameless according to the law, yet barren. Blameless yet barren. There were people who walked before God in a blameless way. They were faultless in their relationship with the Lord. They didn't get bitter. They didn't, get, they didn't question things. They continued to press into the things of God. And that season where they should have been having children came and closed and went. And they were still walking blameless before the Lord. Yet un, they had to have been disappointed. And so the angel visits this girl. She's getting, she's going to have a child before the normal time. 
And he tells her about a woman that she's related to that is going to have a baby after the normal time. What is the deal with that? Barren wombs and virgin wombs producing the next move of God. What is the deal with that? I believe there's a lesson there for you and I. I believe there's something that God wants us to understand. There's a principle and it goes like this. That there are times when something God wants to do is so crucial to his purposes. The, 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 what, what he's going to do in those times is so important that he'll awaken a desire and then thwart that desire. He will keep it from happening. It was about two years ago, I was reading on a, on a Monday morning... I say this a lot, and it sounds like I just lay in bed all day. But it was on my day off, and Kathy had already started her day. Now, this woman I'm married to, it's not unusual for her to start her day like 4 a.m. So, you know, I'm, I'm not up till 4.15. And, uh, <laughs> no, no I, was, I was laying in bed, and it was probably more like 8, 8.30, to be honest. But I was just praying and reading the Word and just spending time with the Lord and enjoying my day off. Hallelujah. I feel it right now. Glory. And uh, anyway... As I was, I was reading about the proclamation of John's birth by the angel and what he would be. And, and I just said to the Lord as I read it, it just kind of came out of my heart. I said, Lord, well, why don't you just make a whole race of John's? You know, a whole race of John the Baptist. We could wrap this thing up real quick. Man, if, if, if it's that simple, you just declared that John would be this one that would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children of the children of the fathers. He was going to be a man that would bring repentance to Israel and bring them back to God. He's going to pave the way for the Lord. Man, that, that's a pretty good gig. <laughs> that's a pretty good prophecy. That is, that is a crucial thing in God's purposes. Why don't you, if it's that easy just to declare there's going to be a bunch of John the Baptists, why don't you do that and forget about making Dave Olson's and let's, let's get this thing wrapped up called human history. I didn't expect an answer, but the Lord began to deal with me. And he began to talk to me about how there's a reason that Elizabeth was made barren. There are several passages in Scripture where it talks about this scenario of barren women, and it says specifically in those passages that the Lord closed her womb. Now, some of you, that's going to mess with your theology. It messes with mine. The Lord closed her womb. And then these scenarios where these women cried out and prayed, be it Sarah, be it Hannah, Samuel's mother, be it Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, be it Samson's mama. What do these ladies have in common? Two things. Number one, they were barren, but they gave birth. And number two, the product of their pregnancy was history-changing children. What's the deal with that? Here's the thing, what God will do, there are some things that are so crucial to God's purposes, he said, I can't bring this through natural means. The the, the natural is not going to solve this one. I've got to bring this one through supernatural means. So he awakens a desire within our heart. There's something that we see, that we desire, that we know. I'm called to this. And what does God do? God intentionally thwarts that desire. God provokes frustration. Because that frustration is intended to be the fuel of your intercession. 
And if you will stay like Elizabeth, if you will stay like Hannah, who didn't get bitter with God and didn't, didn't theologize their barrenness. Oh, I guess it must be God's will. He has other things for me. They laid hold of God and said, God, I want my life to make a difference. I want something to come through me of you that will touch history. And they cried out to God. There was a, a burning desire within them. And God himself was thwarting them. But it, what it did is it raised a frustration that literally became the fuel of their intercession. And what the Lord began to speak to me about, and what, what he told me was this, that when he steps in in that type of scenario and thwarts it, it's because he is awakening something and the battle for that child is being fought before conception. There are things that that child that is crucial to their destiny that the Lord says, I'm going to fight and I'm going to remove those barriers before that child's conceived. And that's why those children can step into greatness. Now, I remember I shared that about two years ago. And right after that, I went over to Nebraska. I was speaking at a ministry school. And the students came up, and we're just praying over them and, and uh, you know, prophesying over the students. And this young man stepped before me, and I laid hands on him. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, my goodness. And I shared that principle with him. I said, there are some people who have such a unique call from God that God will thwart the process of their conception, creating a frustration that fuels the mom's intercession. And the reason is God's going to remove some of the barriers to that child's call before they're ever conceived. The battle will be fought for that child so they can step into greater things. And I said, I feel that on you. And he, he looked at me and says, oh my goodness. He said, my mom and dad tried to have kids for a long time and couldn't conceive. And he said, finally, my mom kept praying and all of a sudden they had me. But I felt it on him and it was a confirmation from the Lord. This principle is not isolated to having babies, although it's part of that. There are times where the Lord will awaken a desire within you. And God himself will thwart your desire. It's awakened, but it's not satisfied. It's like this, this beautiful vision of what the future could be seems elusive and it's beyond you. And what you need to do is you need to keep praying and fighting for that thing. Because often what God is doing, if there's a barrenness to your intimacy, if you're coming before the Lord and intimacy isn't producing the fruit that it normally would, understand it's God's hand himself. And he's trying to create a greater desire in you because the child born out of travail the, the child that's conceived out of prayer is greater than the child that's conceived in natural means. That is true of babies, and that's true of other situations in our life. There are times where we see other people step into things, and it seems easy for them. And we try to step into those things, and it's like there's this thwarted desire. Our pathway is blocked. Get Stir up your faith and lay hold of this thing because frustration is your friend. Let me say it again. Frustration is your friend. 
A lot of times it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like frustration is our friend. But when our pathway is being frustrated by circumstances, by people, you fill in the blank. I'm telling you, nothing can keep you from your destiny but the hand of God in you. And if it's God's will and he's not allowing it, it's because he's allowing a buildup because he's dealing with things in the future that's going to pave the way for that thing when it comes. And it's going to be greater once you get the breakthrough. There's that verse in Isaiah that says, more are the children of the barren womb. (laughs) Isn't that an interesting phrase? More are the children of the barren womb. It's like there's a barrenness, an inability to produce life. But God makes a promise. He said there's more children for that situation. There's more fruitfulness. And what God will do is he will withhold. And there's a building of that frustration that we keep contending. And our battle to remain right with God in the midst of that frustration is literally removing things in the future. And here's the scenario we have here with Elizabeth and Mary. The angel tells Mary, Elizabeth your relative, who was said to be barren, is now in her third month. She, or, or I think it was her sixth month, yeah. She'd already, she was in just beginning her third trimester. So there's this overlap. The, the, the barren woman who's been crying out for decades for a child and never conceived, now finds herself in a supernatural way conceiving a child. And she's six months into her pregnancy when God then visits the next generation. And we have this young girl who's stepping prematurely into something that she didn't even have the time to pay the price for. And it says, the angel refers to as your relative. Here's the principle I really feel like the Lord wants us to come away with this morning. We are all related in this thing. And what God did between waves, between the talkative years, if you will, (laughs) you know, the silent years that are between the moves of God, God was moving in the life of this man and woman named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they were walking blameless before the Lord. And they had this desire to have a child. And they, they desired to, to, to raise that child and, and produce something of their love, an expression of them to leave behind after they'd passed away. And yet those desires were thwarted. And they, they, they'd been intimate. It wasn't that, that... You can't even claim barrenness unless you've been intimate. The, the test of barrenness is intimacy. It's so like they, there, there was this intimacy, but there was a lack of fruitfulness. And God was withholding them past the due date. God moved the timeline in this woman's life, this couple's life. And I believe that God often does this. What he'll do in one generation is he moves the timeline longer so that in the next generation he can move the timeline shorter. What one generation pays the price for, the next generation gets to step into. I believe that Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer, because the angel, when he confronted Zechariah in the temple, he said to him, your prayers have been answered. You are going to have a child. 
Now, chances are those prayers were from long ago. It's doubtful whether Zechariah was still praying and saying, God, we're still wanting a baby. He could have been. Maybe he was a greater man of faith than I realize. But either way, he was either contending long after that he should, you know, that normally you should, or God was saying, I remember your cries from years ago, and you've kept your heart pure, and you are a couple that I can trust to give birth to something great. This child is going to prepare the way for the Lord. I want you to catch that. The product of Elizabeth's womb would prepare the way for the product of Mary's womb. What came out of Elizabeth was going to prepare the way for what came out of Mary. It's a generational thing. And so whereas Elizabeth and Zechariah had to wait longer than usual, Mary was able to step in earlier than usual. And that's the way it's supposed to happen. And regardless of where you're at, be grateful. If you're, if you're one that gets it to step in earlier than usual, be really grateful. But if you're one that's still contending and you've had to wait longer than normal, you've had to wait an extended period, it's because God is going to bring greatness out of you. And you are literally preparing the way for what's going to come out of the next generation. It wasn't just the product of their womb. It wasn't just the babies that Elizabeth's baby would prepare the way for Mary's baby. It was literally Elizabeth's prayers her lifestyle, her contending, her living the way she did was literally preparing the way for Mary to step into this great destiny. They weren't disconnected. They weren't a coincidence. God was in this. They were related. And so what God will do is he will often awaken something within us. And if we can get a vision for this, he'll awaken something within us. And other people may break in easily and break in early. There may be things that, that you're so desiring to see for your family, so, so desiring to see in your own life, your own walk with God. And it's like other people are walking in that already and you look around and there's people walking in that. Elizabeth and Zachariah had, all their neighbors had little babies running around. Little kids running around. And they were holding out hope. And then they're getting older and they're thinking, well, well, we'll just be older parents. And then she went into that time of life and they'd given up on those dreams, but they continued to walk blameless. And then God broke in at that, that window of time. They kept their heart pure. But here's the thing. It wasn't all the babies that they had, had running around their neighborhood that were going to change the world. It wasn't all those kids that were going to be used to prepare the way for the Lord. It was the one that was going to come through them. And God withheld it for a latter time in their life because the withholding was doing a work in them and even doing a work in Him. God was removing the barriers that their son would have to face. I struggled with that principle. I said, Lord, is this really what you're telling me? And I was convinced enough to preach it, but I got really convinced when I went to Omaha and laid my hands on that young man and told him what I felt. And he told me, oh man, you know, you're, you're right. My mom and dad tried to have a baby and they couldn't and they couldn't and they couldn't. Finally, they had me. There's great destiny on that young man because there were barriers to his destiny 
that were already settled before he was ever conceived. That baby was birthed in prayer before it was conceived in a bedroom. It was conceived in intimacy with God and in travailing prayer. And so what God will do, it's, it's the principle we find in, in Hebrews chapter 11. It's talking about the heroes of the faith that saw a great victory and great breakthrough. And they, it says they, they shut the mouths of lions and it has all these great victories. And then it shifts gears in Hebrews 11 and it said, And some died never seeing the promise, but they died in faith still believing. It says they were killed, they were sawn in two, put to the flames, martyred for their faith, but they held on to their faith. And it says, of them, the world is not worthy. It says, because God was withholding from them, because only with us could they receive the better thing that God wanted to give. There's something about those people. Mary, it's a phenomenal thing that this young girl would surrender her life and her reputation and say, so be it unto me. I don't want to diminish that at all. Mary's a hero. I want to tell you. Elizabeth and Zechariah are my heroes. Because they continued to walk faithfully and hold on to a promise whose shelf life had seemed to expire, but they still kept their heart right with God. And what was in them, not just what came from them, but what was in them that had been forged in disappointment, but they refused to shake their faith, literally paved the way for what Mary would carry. And all of human history hinges on these two couples. It's a generational thing. God will ask one generation to do without longer so the next generation doesn't have to do without at all. That's true financially, that's true in raising our children, but I'm telling you, it's true spiritually. When God wants to break into human history, What he does is he looks for people who will contend. And it's getting beyond the expiration date. And they're not receiving what they they were desiring. Why? Because it's only with the next generation they can receive what they've promised. How many of you know who Reinhard Bonnke is? Reinhard Bonnke had an encounter with the Lord a few years ago. I don't know how many years ago, if it was 10, 15 years ago. But in this encounter, he went to heaven. And he heard the Lord speaking about him. He heard the father speaking to the son. and said, how is our brown-eyed German boy? And he heard the Lord said, he's doing good. And then he heard the Lord say, has he gathered the 50 yet? And after that encounter, Reinhard Bonnke knew. Now, Reinhard Bonnke, for those of you that don't know him, he's been one of the most successful evangelists in, in history. He's preached to crowds of over, well over a million people at a time. They'll literally have flatbed trucks for their altar calls. And they'll just pick people up. They have it all sectioned out. They have these towers with huge speakers. And they'll, they'll just rent these huge, massive fields in Africa. And for altar calls, the, the trucks will drive down and say, if you're answering the altar call, get on. We'll drive you to the front. It's an amazing thing. He's seen, he has seen millions of souls come into the kingdom. Google it and look at the pictures. It's amazing. And the Lord said, has he gathered the 50 yet? And so Reinhardt knew what that meant. 
he needed to gather 50 young evangelists. Reinhardt is now retiring. He's passed the baton to a young man named Daniel Kalinda. Daniel's probably about 40 years old. Daniel was the product of the Brownsville Revival. He was the product of the last move. He came in easily as an 18, 20-year-old young man. He came in on what somebody else had forged. So Reinhardt is looking across the earth. He wants to gather 50 young evangelists to pass the baton, to, to extend his mantle over and to impart to them so that they could continue on with what God had started with him. And it's interesting that as Reinhard looked across the, the nations of the earth, and he's known all over the world, he picked 50 young men, 19 of the 50. That's 38, what is it, 38%? Help me out here, I'm bad at math. 38% were graduates of the Brownsville Revival. That, that's fascinating to me. 50 people from across the world and over a third of them came from one church revival. Because there was a man that contended and paid the price. A man named John Kilpatrick, a man named Steve Hill. And they contended and paid a tremendous price for that move of God. And all these young people just came and signed up for school, and they were the product of it. And they were able to enter in easily. They were like Mary. They were given birth before, before they even knew what they were doing because they were coming in under the anointing of a father who had paid the price previously. And now today we see men like Daniel Kalinda and Scott Lee and many others that are going across the world. Tremendous touch of God on their lives. The next wave of God. And understand, when I talk like that, I'm not talking about you having something in God personally. Nobody can rob you of everything that God has, you, has for you personally. You, you can walk under your own open heaven. What I'm talking about is opening the heaven over regions. The next breakthrough from that, with that, God's going to bring another load of young people in. And they're going to be, it's the way of God. It's not this equal opportunity generational move where we all enter in at the same age. One generation enters in late so the next generation can enter in early. And God says of those who enter in late, of them the world is not worthy. You've been listening to a presentation from Heartland Church in Ankeny, Iowa. For more information about our ministry and its available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Thanks for listening.